Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. Live in the freedom that God loves you unconditionally. And He loves you unconditionally. God's love for you is unconditional. Preaching that God loves you unconditionally is the wrong message. God has a good will towards everybody, believers and non-believers. But there is another love reserved only for those who embrace the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. In this dim fog, I still don't fully believe that Nick is gone. I don't trust myself to believe it. Even though I'm the one who wrote his obituary, I find myself reading it again and again to ensure that it's all true. I've gone so far as to pinch myself, to ask Aileen to assure me I'm awake. What if I nodded off and this is all just an awful dream? What if I've fallen sick and this is some feverish nightmare? What if I mistakenly popped the wrong pill and I'm now hallucinating? Aren't those scenarios more likely than a young man just falling down dead? I tap Nick's name into my computer and find a news story. Heartbroken, Boyce College students mourn the abrupt death of Nick Challies. So it is true. But somehow it still wouldn't shock me if my phone rang and I saw his name and heard his voice. I'm hovering in this place between belief and disbelief, between certainty and doubt. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to feel. I don't even know what to feel about my faith, about my God. I should pray, shouldn't I? But I don't find anything to say. I should open my Bible, right? But I can't focus on the words. My eyes flit about, skimming over chapters and verses, but never pausing long enough to absorb a thing. I feel so much and so little. The pain is searing and dull. I'm writhing in agony and laying still, crying and laughing, rejoicing and lamenting. What am I supposed to do? How can I orient myself when everything is so dim, so dull, so dark? This is Wretched Radio. Uh, That was the voice of Tim Challies, author of a new book, Seasons of Sorrow. He sat down with me for his first interview after the tragic and unexpected loss of his 20-year-old son, who died in front of his sister and fiancé while studying to become a pastor. Tragedy doesn't get much more tragic than that. And yet, Tim Challies, the Canadian blogger, was willing to be transparent and work through his feelings publicly so that you and I could be helped when you and I experience the inevitable tragedy, which we will. Imagine a sailor who goes to sea thinking, we don't need to prepare for a storm. We don't need to have lifeboats. We don't need to have sandbags, if that's what you use when your boat is battered by a storm. We'll be fine. That's a foolish sailor, and that's a foolish us if you and I fail to get ready for tragedy. Because if it hasn't struck already, you're in it, or you're going to be in it. It is certain this life is not without its tears. Tim Challies boldly helping us to work through the issue of tragedy by studying some big doctrines, providence and sovereignty. And by the way, if you notice the guy interviewing him is pretty halting and slow, it's because I think this was probably, I don't even know if probably is appropriate. This was the hardest interview I've ever done. Yeah. 
So that was the beginning of this year-long journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you first discovered this and found out, how how long did it take you to not feel totally disoriented? Yeah, I think the there was a fog that settled over us. I've heard some people refer to it as grief brain or something like that, where you just you, you, your capacity shrinks significantly. You just can't do much. Um, and that lasted probably several months before I really felt like I emerged from that fog where I was back to my somewhat back to my old self. Um, that was, you know, I think for others in the family, it took a little bit longer. Everybody's experience different. Everybody's emotions different. But it was several months before I really felt like the fog lifted and I started to be able to get back to old capacities, old responsibilities. But it's a totally disorienting, as you state in your book, reading your Bible. I think you described it as you saw words, but yeah. couldn't get concepts right. out of it. Right. Things couldn't sink in the way they usually would. I couldn't meditate or focus or really. That's part of why I wrote, because that was helpful in terms of getting ideas down. Yeah. It would probably be pretty natural for a father to somehow want to take responsibility because that's what we do. You know, yeah. <laughs> you jump in and you want to help right. and you want right. to block. Yeah. In in this early season, in the fall season, did you feel responsible somehow for Nick's death? Yeah. We, we worked that through. We certainly wondered if there was something we should have done or something we should have seen or something we should have known that might have prevented it. Um, but I think the deeper sense was that God was responsible for it and we were okay with that. What? God was responsible for it and we're okay with that? How in the world can a dad who just lost his son come to that conclusion? And the answer is, he's not a foolish sailor. He's a wise Christian man who was ready for the day of tragedy by studying the doctrines of providence. God is in control of everything and God is sovereign. And it is those two doctrines that have navigated him through the choppy waters of grief, and they will guide you, too. When you um, experienced the first blast, one of the things that you described in the fall season was that you feared God and you feared God, or you were afraid of God, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So what? it sounds like it's the same thing. Right. But it's not. No. So we fear God in the sense of knowing um, knowing God's power, knowing God's sovereignty, knowing who God is, knowing God's holiness. God's holiness should make us afraid um, in that sense Isaiah was afraid when he witnessed God's holiness. Um, it should bring a, a kind of fear into our hearts. And so we're rightly um, assessing the difference between God and ourselves. Um, a reverential fear. Right, right. Um, but there is also, we also realized we were a bit afraid of God in the sense that God had shown us his power in a very dramatic way, that God could just in a moment decree through his sovereignty that he would take what was most precious to us. And God didn't ask our permission. He didn't give us notice. He didn't give us time to prepare ourselves. He didn't apologize. Not that I'm saying he should have, but he just took and um 
we realized, well, he could take something else too. If God was this powerful and toward Nick, he could be powerful in this way toward other people we love. And so for a while, there's a sense of dread hanging over us. Um, if God's willing to do this, what else might he be willing to do? And that was very, that was very difficult um, and trying not to be afraid of God in that, in that sense. Um, but we do know his power in a different way now. Yeah. It, I believe it was Dr. Stephen Ewell at an ACBC conference said that his, his dad, I think he was a pastor, asked him one day, do you know the top three descriptors of God mm -hmm. that are most regularly visited in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, sovereignty, mm -hmm. holiness. No, no, no. He's good. Mm -hmm. He's able and he's faithful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't remember those attributes with sovereignty, I, I, then I think that it's nothing but devastation. What are the three most common affirmations concerning God in Scripture? Number one, God is good. Number two, God is able. And number three, God is faithful. Oh, praise God, because ability to divorce from goodness and faithfulness is something to be dreaded. But his ability, coupled with his goodness and his faithfulness, makes him a worthy object of our trust. You were able to genuinely recognize there was good in this? Yeah. Yeah, because God is good. And so if you have your, your, your trust in the character of God, that then helps you understand the actions of God. So God is good in his character. He's not doing things that are bad in his actions. We had to take that by faith. We might not have been able to see it. And one thing we wanted to, to pull apart was we didn't want to be too trite in saying, this is why God did this, to see one good thing that came out right. of it and say, well, now we can say um, God's good in it because this good effect oh, wow. came about. We right. had to separate why God did it from how God is using it and not completely conflate those things. Because, you know, if somebody came to the Lord through, through this whole situation, does that now say that's a good enough thing that it, it now balances out or justifies the death of our son? And we, we know God is bigger than that. And God is um, working on more levels than that and so on. So the goodness we found in it, we just had to trust, take by faith. God is good, therefore what God does is good. Whether there is a good outcome or not, the tragedy, the difficulty, the stress, the fears are ordained by God so that we will run to him, rely on him, become like him. And that is good. Whether something good comes from it tangentially, praise God if it does. But we need to grasp and actually believe everything God does is good. This is Wretched Radio. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, is firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. 
We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasounds, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Here's a fun fact. Did you know Todd also hosts a daily TV program? Yep, that's right. Wretched TV is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters, conversations about tough theological issues, and like a jillion other things. And you can find Wretched TV pretty much everywhere. It's airing on over 135 Christian TV networks. You'll also find the show on streaming services like Roku, American Gospel TV, Answers in Genesis TV, Amazon Fire TV, and as always, the very trustworthy and reliable Wretched.org. This, of course, is only possible because of our gospel partners. It's through their kindness and generosity and commitment to the gospel that we're able to reach millions of people all over the world every year. And so can I ask you to please pray about partnering with us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. You can find out more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 64 AD. After fire ravages Rome, Emperor Nero blames Christians and unleashes the first state-sanctioned persecution of Christians. Roman persecution would continue for 250 years until Emperor Constantine officially recognized and defended Christianity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Wouldn't be surprised if this weren't the book of the year. This is Wretched Radio Seasons of Sorrow, written by a man who knows a little something about the subject. Tim Challies, his son, unexpectedly died at the age of 20. He penned his thoughts. He put them into a book. And it is so profoundly helpful because it's real. It's raw but it's also theological. So to prepare you for tragedy or to help you through your current suffering, Tim Challey's book, Seasons of Sorrow, it could be the book of the year. Sat down with him to discuss the book. He works through Seasons of Sorrow using the calendar to talk about kind of the stages. There's never neat and 
tidy categories or the same order for everybody when it comes to grief, but he worked through fall and then the winter season of sorrow. Let's move into winter. Yeah. Did you ever ponder and wonder if God still loved you? No. No, I, I never, never doubted God's love for me. I've heard people, they get angry. Did you ever get angry at God? Never, no. No, I couldn't get angry at God. Um, I know God did nothing more than was his right to do. Um, again, being grounded in scriptural promises, being grounded in the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty. I know he's the one who gives life and who takes life away. He was the one who gave us Nick as a gift. He was the one who took him away again. So I couldn't possibly be be angry at God. No. Right, so if somebody hears that and they think, well, that doesn't seem very emotional. It's just pretty cut and dried sort of affair. Would somebody be confused if they thought that you and Aileen and your daughters didn't cry buckets of tears? <laughs> yeah, no, there were plenty of tears. There still are plenty of tears. Um, we still cry very often. And I learned how to cry through this. I'm, I'm not uh, naturally much of an emoter, but this situation taught me to cry. And I've cried, cried plenty of tears, as, as have all the others. So um, we certainly weren't emotionless, but anger was not one of those emotions that we, we went to or felt any real, real need for. We really did believe that God is good and God is sovereign, and you put those doctrines together, those, there's no reason to be that, angry at him. That, but, that, but that's the boat that will help you to cross the choppy waters. Mm. Otherwise, you'll sink right. without right. that. Yeah, right. you need to interpret providence. You need to know God's character and then allow God's character to interpret your providence, in, interpret providence, not the other way around. So you don't want to take what's happening and then modify the character of God through it. Well, this bad thing happened, therefore I'm now gonna read that badness back into God. Now you establish who God is, and then when actions unfold, you keep going back to the character of God and saying, well, this is not, somehow this is consistent with the character of God. This doesn't change the character of God. And I, I really think the key here to this is, and this is really delicious, <laughs> really good. <laughs> that the key to it is that you didn't walk into this theologically blind. Right. It was your Christian life suddenly mm. a test. And this is this was just theology applied, which is why I, I I think the encouragement, get this fixed. Because experiencing a loss like that and trying to figure out who God is, what he's like, right. the doctrine of sovereignty, I d I don't think you'd have a chance. No. No. And when you experience great grief, you tend to be very emotional. Your emotions are, are high and you're, you're likely to allow emotions to lead the way. Um, if you have lots of truth to draw upon, then those will modify or restrain your emotions or direct them at least in appropriate ways. So you can grieve but without being angry at God. That raises a question that I asked Tim Challies, but help practically. How do we get to that place? What we're talking about here is really moving from philosophical dualism. Mm -hmm. I, I got my faith here, but I'm dealing yeah. with life over here. Most struggled to bring them together. Right. How did you yeah. do that? 
yeah, when I when it comes to friendships, I'm not terribly expressive and so on. So I'm not I'm not a person who's reading the Bible um, and really uh, I don't even know how to express it except to say that I understand that this is God's personal revelation to me. God desires a relationship with me. And this is the primary means through which I expect God to speak to me. And then I in prayer respond to God. And so seeing that not as this rote back and forth, not as some purely spiritual exercise, but as a relationship. And so I love going out in the morning. It's my daily routine is listening to the Bible for a while and then just praying for a while. And I really see that as just hanging out with God, just spending time with him as a father to a son. And so I think through many years of doing that, just spending time with the Lord, we talk about devotions, quiet time. I talk about just spending time with the Lord. We had built a relationship where I really did come to love and to trust him. And so then when something happened that was hard for me to, well, something I wouldn't have wanted to have happen or something that was hard for me to understand, I still had confidence in this relationship that I had a real relationship with a father who loves me more than I as a father love my own son. So cultivate that, work on that. Yeah. God, this, in our circles, we love theology and we love doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the abuse of so many people talking about the love of God mm-hmm. and that he's just lovey-dovey and he just loves us and mm, we're yeah. so lovable. And yep. it's just, it's such a hash that you bring up the love of God in our circles and it's like, whoa, Pally, whoa. And yet, Romans 5, 1 and 2, we, that Christ brings us, he introduces us to God. He brings us, mm-hmm. that God actually does seek a relationship with his children. Yeah. And I, it, it's kind of a shame. I see this regularly. When something gets really abused mm-hmm. out there, we just run a million miles away from it. It's like, wait a second. These charlatans right. are robbing us from really good theology. Mm-hmm. So you hear prosperity preaching, and we would be very slow to say, well, God actually does bless obedience. Sure. No, it's not the quid pro quo money system they're pitching. Yep. And I think the love of God is one of them, that we might know the knowledge of the love of God that he has for us in Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I think the implication of Paul is that it's, it's an experiential love. Mm-hmm. And then again, we get a little bit nervous. Well, wait a second, we're not mystics. This isn't an ooey-gooey relationship. Yeah. Correct and correct. But God has brought us into relationship mm-hmm. that we would speak to him, that we would hear from him through his word, through his people. Yeah. How did you develop that and allow yourself, even as perhaps a, slightly less emotive guy to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you understand the the message of the Bible, the the broad message of the Bible, which is God created us to be in relationship with him. He created us to love and be loved by him. And then you understand how far we fell, how far we ran away from God and then see God reaching out. Um, You know, you read the old Testament, you read the new, you see the, the, the extent to which God will go to draw us back to himself. That is love. That is love beyond what we can imagine. And so you you come to understand that our love is just a pale imitation of God's love. Our fatherhood is a pale imitation of God's fatherhood. Um, 
yeah, how can you but have your heart move toward God? And I think you're right that we can throw the baby out with the bathwater too often in our theological tradition, whatever it is. Um, and we can miss out on some very, very precious truths that can sustain us. So, so theology is good, but not when it's abstract. We don't need, in our, in our darkest moments, we don't need abstract theology. We need living, breathing theology that's grounded in the character of God, not just in a, in a catechism or a cold truths. We need living truths. And that's what Christian doctrine is. It's, it's the outworking of God's character and um, the description of God's actions. And um, yeah, in our, in our difficult moments, that's what we need. We need to draw upon God, what's true about him. Would you like to hear more? You can do that at the YouTube machine. Just look for Breaking Bread, Tim Challies, and you will hear the entire conversation. Really working through his book, Seasons of Sorrow, which is such a good read. Encourage you to consider getting that book. We have it in our store, wretched.org, to help you prepare for seasons of sorrow if you're not in them already. Challenge for all of us. Have we been acting too much like dualists? We've been amassing knowledge about God, but it has not warmed our hearts and solidified the relationship that we have with him which will prepare us to withstand the difficulties that this life inevitably brings. We would all do well to consider if we have been separating faith from our lives and start working now to join them and to know the love of God before tragedy strikes. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Climate hysteria is just the latest liberal talking point that's infected the United States Army. Last week, the Army released their strategy, a 50-page document detailing its plan on how to adapt to and mitigate so-called climate change so that today's soldiers are better able to train, deploy, fight, and win the nation's wars while reducing the force's overall emissions. Call me naive here, but I do not think climate change has absolutely anything to do with the level of training soldiers are currently getting in the military. Case in point, this statement that was made by Christine Warmoth, who is the Biden administration's army secretary. You know, we get criticized, frankly, sometimes for being woke. I'm not sure what woke means. That doesn't reflect what I see. So how do you know you're not woke if you're not sure what woke even means? Well, here's a story that should cause a little concern, maybe more than a little. The political climate in our culture right now is possibly going to get worse as the years progress. A recent study conducted by the College Pulse's Future of Politics found not only that college students are the most politicized they've been since the late 60s, but that the male-female voting gap is wider than that of the general population. The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education conducted a study 
study which surveyed tens of thousands of students. Among the findings is that 23% of students, a figure that rises to 28% among female undergraduates, claim LGBT status. As many as half the students at liberal arts colleges that were surveyed identify as non-heterosexual. The college students of today, which will be leading our country in the future, seem in large margin to line up with the political ideology of the day. And that can only speak bad news for the future of this country. And a perfect example of this is happening right now at the University of Southern Maine, where a professor by the name of Christy Hammer, who according to the story could be described as a woke professor, has found herself as the target of an effort by students to remove her from teaching a class because she answered a student's question honestly. And again, it's important for us to remember that this particular professor pretty much lines up with all of the liberal talking points of the day. But a student attending one of her graduate-level courses asked the question of how many sexes there were. And Professor Hammer responded to that question with extreme honesty by saying two, while her answer upset the student who asked the question. The student identifies herself as non-binary, so she's neither male or female. And she said, quote, I felt under personal attack. All right, well, first of all, you asked the question and she honestly gave you the answer. These students are the future leaders of our country. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Exodus is a story of God saving His people from oppression and giving them an identity and an inheritance. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which begin with the statement, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Good deeds have always been a response to God's saving work, not a means of earning salvation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's go talk about the book we all read. Books. You know they're dangerous. Take a look. It's in a book. So many books. So little time. This is Wretched Radio. Congratulations, world. We're now celebrating abortion and adultery. How do I know? A headline Nobel Prize in Literature is awarded to Annie Ernaux. She's French. In the 60s, she wrote about having her illegal abortion and about having an affair on her husband. And now she just won a $900,000 Nobel Prize for Literature. What a world we live in. How do they get away with this? And the answer is word salad. They use words to make something awful wonderful. It's, in, it's just, it's absolutely, I mean, you got to give liberals props that they're able to present something that is so bad for women, for children, for marriages, for family, for society, and turn it into a Nobel Prize. The Nobel Prize was awarded to Annie Emo, the French novelist, whose intensely personal books, oh, it's an intensely personal book. Okay. Then I guess the contents are fine. That have spoken to generations of women by highlighting incidents from her own life, including a backstreet abortion in the 60s and a passionate extramarital affair. Look at us celebrating sin. We live in an inverted reality universe. Now, here's the language. Just this is. 
Jimmy. Yes. We could be put into a room with a box of crack, two boxes of crack, <laughs> and we wouldn't come up with a way to wordsmith what is vulgar and wicked as being wonderful and so empowering. Mm, the permanent secretary of the Swedish Nobel Academy, which decides the prize, announced the decision at a news conference. Quote, we laud the courage and clinical acuity with which she uncovers the roots, estrangements, and collective restraints of personal memory. <laughs> what? Oh, it must be educational-like because the big words done got used to describe this book. This is happening constantly. The language that gets used to justify drag queen story hours. Educational freedom. The kids need to be exposed to these things so that their worldview can be expanded from their awful Christian parents so that they can be more accepting. Don't you want people to be accepted? Yeah. Then you should want drag queen story hour. No, I, we don't. Don't you want people to be accepted? No. Emo has characterized her language as brutally direct, working class, and sometimes obscene. The author admits, my language is obscene. The folks in Sweden give it a $900,000 prize. <laughs> How nice. What a world we live in. Speaking of books, are you familiar with The Boy Who Visited Heaven or something like that? I think that's what it's called. It was Alex Malarkey's book. It was one of the heavenly tourism books from, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. The young man at the age of 14 got saved. If you recall, he was in a terrible accident. His dad fabricated a story that his son went to heaven, and he comes back to recall the details of his heavenly visit. Well, the young man got saved and said, it's all a lie. I can't, no, can't do it. Well, dad continues to be out on the stump, despite the fact the son said, no, I didn't go. That's, the, that's your primary source right there. No, I didn't go. Dad just keeps making a living now, kicking out Alex Malarkey, his son, and mother being evicted by the ex-husband. That's nice. If you're interested, they have a GoFundMe page to help this young man, who in my estimation, I said when this story broke that he got saved and admitted that it was all a ruse, and he was willing to admit it, and to take the public shame for lying. He was a boy, but nevertheless, that took some courage. I'm not sure it was the most courageous act of the year, maybe of the decade. That was, that was bold of that. Let's just put it this way. If there were a Nobel Prize for courage, he would at least be in the running for it. There are others, but he'd definitely be considered for it. Dad's kicking him out. And as long as we're talking about getting kicked out, there are people who have been kicked out of their homes in Florida. I sent a note to Tom Askell. You know Tom. He ran for the presidency. For the president? For the office of the presidential natureness. At the Southern Baptist Convention, he did not win, but he is in the wake of the storm, 
trying to pick up pieces and to help people to eat, have a safe place, stay dry. TrueGraceOfGod.org. TrueGraceOfGod.org. If you want to help out that church, help out the community. What do you know? Even, even a hurricane gets politicized. Have you noticed that? Not only is it global warming, but the environmentalists are saying maybe we just shouldn't rebuild because this just happens too much. Well, newsflash, it's always happened, and people should have the choice to build wherever they want to. They might not be able to get insurance, but that's what private industry is all about. But we are seeing the hurricane politicized. And what what did our vice president say? That they want equal, they want equality. And so because of that, she actually said they are going to serve those people of a particular skin color first. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's honest. Question, does God want equal outcome? Does God want everybody to have and be the same? And I think the answer to that is a resounding no. How do I know? Because he makes different people with different giftings, and he never describes one as being better than the other, and that we must just level the field so that even if somebody is more gifted, they shouldn't get more because of their giftedness. We used to call that being blessed. Today it's called having privilege. But God is okay with that. Now, there shouldn't be abuses. We know that. God does not love when there are violations of justice. He hates that. He despises that. But simultaneously, he does not have a problem with some people having more than others. was just reading last night the story of Abraham. He's basically in the land of the Canaanites when his wife, 125, give or take years old, dies needs to bury her. So he negotiates a deal with a Canaanite, which I actually thought was kind of fascinating. They said of Abraham, he's a man of much authority. He is like a prince among us. Now, he wasn't a part of them because he was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he was the father of the Jewish people. Remember the covenant, land, seed, blessing, but they esteemed him. So when he asked them, can I have some some place to bury my wife, please? They said one of the fellows who owned a field with a cemetery plot, if you will, at the end of the field said, I'll give it to you. You can have this. And Abraham said, no, I'll pay you for it. And I can't remember the measure. It was like 400 somethings, whatever the measurement was, didn't have coins then. But whatever the measurement was for something of value, he paid for it a lot because he could. Why? Abraham was wealthy. And never do you see God chastising him. Abraham, quit amassing stuff. You've got too much. He was somebody that God blessed. And God does not have a problem with that. Contrary to our vice president, this ain't a book but it's a movie on the Netflix. Another demonstration of inverted reality, Planned Parenthood is calling Netflix's Marilyn Monroe film. 
anti-abortion propaganda. Why? Because the movie shows Marilyn Monroe having an illegal abortion and suffering mental torment after undergoing oh, two illegal abortions against her will. And what does Planned Parenthood say? That's anti-abortion propaganda. That movie's got to go. So if that's the logic that we use these days, Jimmy, have you ever seen anybody uh, struggling with the effects of chemotherapy? Yes. Call! You can't say that. That's anti-chemotherapy propaganda. See what I just did right there? I'm sorry. (laughs) We're living in an inverted reality universe. This is Wretched Radio. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Affordable biblical health sharing. Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. The month of October is finally here, which means football season is in full swing, basketball season's not far behind, the leaves are falling, and it's time for the annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale. Now through the 25th, all of our gospel booklets are on sale, and I mean really on sale. Packs of 25 and 50 are 40% off, and packs of 100 are 35% off for Don't Stub Your Toe, Are You a Rotten Fish, The Man Who Splits High, and 13 Reasons Not to Commit Suicide. There's no charge as always for solving the God puzzle. It's the perfect opportunity for you to grab booklets to hand out on Halloween. And no, I'm not encouraging you to celebrate the Devil's Day, but let's face it, kids are still coming to your door whether you like it or not, so why not hand them the gospel and shine some light on this dark and demonic day? And while everybody else is handing out cavities and sugar crashes, you can give the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale, happening now at Wretched.org. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles and the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines but they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching 
church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called a curse for us. When Adam sinned, all creation came under a curse, and everyone who breaks God's law is cursed. But Jesus bore our curse on the cross so that we may receive the blessings of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And I'm born to Carolina in Actually, literally, this is Wretched Radio. He sounds pretty good for almost 80. I gotta tell you. 80. <laughs> going to Carolina because, well, I'll just be honest with you, I'm gonna get rich. You see, we're doing a conference. At Community Bible Church, okay, when I say we, they are doing a conference, and they graciously invited me to participate with others like H.P. Charles, if you have the opportunity. Beaufort, South Carolina, can't wait to visit. It is a gorgeous part of the world. It's, it's right over there by Hilton Head. So, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty nautical and pretty amazing. And I'm going to get pretty rich because uh, if you want to get tickets for this, just go to communitybible.us and pay $1,500 for a ticket and you'll get to be what? at the con. $1,500 to see you? Wait, hold on. I think it's free. Wait, hold I, I am so sorry. I was confusing me with Juanita Bynum. <laughs> <laughs> She's charging $1,500 for a prayer class. Quote, this is not some cheap-based class. No, it's definitely not cheap. Now, the information will be completely worthless. She's charging $1,500. Quote, I'm not going to insult myself to even discuss the price. It's an insult to who I am after being in ministry for over 50 years. She and James Taylor, but she doesn't sound as good as he does. Karen, she's a silver sun. You best walk her away and watch it shine. That's 2018. His voice is still pretty limber, isn't it? Watch her once the morning come. The silver tear appearing now alive. The course accommodates 150 people and features seven two-hour sessions of intensive teaching at an undisclosed location in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> we don't want people to know that we're ripping off other people for $1,500 for a couple of sessions. Course restraint registrants will also receive a tote bag. Wow. A binder. Whoa. Wow. A prayer shawl. And sacred anointing oil. This is almost a good deal all of a sudden, as well as a Q&A at the end of each teaching session with Juanita Bynum herself for just $1,499.99. 
She's going to rack up 150K. She's a giver. Because, <laughs> I can see. Well, the regular cost is $1,999.99. Uh-huh. So she's really giving people a good deal. And a tote bag. Hope to see you in South Carolina with or without James Taylor. It's a lovely part of the world. If you can make it there, like today, tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be... I'll be speaking Wednesday night, I believe at 6.30 p.m. It is free. Imagine those, those poor Christians in South Carolina that are probably, they're probably barefoot because <laughs> they don't charge the $19.99 on sale for just $14.99.99 prices to get a ticket. Oh, man. And speaking of kooky, Friel. Isn't that everything these days? Yes. Yes, it is. Our president wants to pardon thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession under federal law. Now you say, yeah, that's vote getting. I get it. All of that. But it's CRT. You didn't think that critical theory would infect even our understanding of people who break marijuana laws. Sending people, this is, this is the president speaking. Sending people to jail for possessing marijuana has upended too many lives for conduct that is legal in many states. Well, if it's not legal in that state, (laughs) it just doesn't matter. Mr. Biden said on Twitter, that's before you address the clear racial disparities around prosecution and conviction. Today we begin to right these wrongs. So you're good to go because everybody who was arrested was arrested because there are racist cops. That's CRT. CRT. Does that divide us? Yeah. That's precisely what it's intended to do. And speaking of kooky, I did not know there was such a thing. There is a class or a lecture that is being taught. I'll just read the article from SDR. Did you know Jesus helped his friend come out? That's how one pro-gay theology activist starts his video. It's a, oh, it's a video, not a class. Do you have to spend $14.99.99 to watch the video? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll just cost you your soul. Then he shares a New Testament passage in which Jesus supposedly tells LGBT people to come out of the closet and show their true selves because Jesus affirms living a life satisfying LGBT desires. He doesn't share what the passage is, but did you know that that is being taught? (laughs) Can you get Jimmy? Can you guess what verse where Jesus encouraged his friend to be bold? Declare his preferences? No, I cannot. Not going to tell you yet either. It's going to cost me $1,500. First, we need to remember what an idiom is. It's a phrase whose meaning can't be deduced from the individual words. For example, it's raining cats and dogs. There are, you're not going to step in a poodle. (laughs) Oh, look at the church sign. (laughs) Why not? But we all get it, don't we? It's just raining really hard. There are no felines or canines involved because there is an established usage that is understood by modern English speakers. Two key words, modern 
and English. Idioms lose their meaning when they're translated into another language, moved to a different culture, or transported to another time period. If I translate it's raining cats and dogs into Russian, people are going to look at you real strange. Now, what does that have to do with this YouTube video? Biblical languages have their own figures of speech, but idioms don't time travel. Idioms can't be taken from one century to the next, but this pro-gay theology advocate uses the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. What? Lazarus, come out! Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me that isn't just kind of sad. In other words, quote, come out of the tomb of shame. Take off the chains that have bound you up. Step into the glory of who God made you to be, just as you are with... Oh, sorry, wasn't the song. Um, Sorry, but coming out is an idiom that was created late 20th century. (laughs) And you can't have it get into the DeLorean and go back to the first century. You can't take English words that have a specific meaning today and map them into a biblical passage. Now, please notice what happened right after Jesus healed a demon-oppressed woman. Quote, When Jesus saw her, he called over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. Because apparently she was a lesbian. So Jesus made her straight. And you go, well, that's dumb. And I say, yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Speaking of (laughs) Bible words, where is this? um, Here it is, right here. This is from Thaddeus Williams. Oldest lie in the book, you will be like God. No doubt you've heard about the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? Here's what this guy explains. Knowing good and evil is Hebrew shorthand for God creating, composing, determining, and defining what is good and evil. In other words, it's to say everything. They're going to know about everything. This is an ancient Jewish way of speaking that names polar opposites to include everything in between. That is what the knowledge of good and evil opened up to Adam and Eve. They didn't know about evil. They didn't know about certain things because only God was supposed to know about certain things. God is the originator, the determiner, the authority, the boundary setter, the ultimate meaning maker of the entire universe. That is what is encapsulated in knowing good and evil. Here's some more CRT. The serpent insinuates God, creates his creatures dumb and docile to protect his fragile ego. If you want real power, you have to stop bowing to God and instead become God. Taste liberation from your cosmic oppressor. Viva la revolution against the hegemonic power of heaven. Yep, that's right. (laughs) When somebody says, when did CRT begin? You don't need to see Antonio Gramsci or Karl Marx say, the devil. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king.